praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. I have, um, uh, well, I'm not sure a thousand is, is an exaggeration. It might be, but maybe not by much. But I've got a thousand favorite scriptures, but this is one of them in Galatians chapter 3. The reason for it is because so many times people, especially when it comes to healing, people talk about how they need a miracle. Oh, Pastor Mike, pray for me. I need a miracle. It's gotten to the point where I just need a miracle. Well, the Bible says very specifically in Galatians chapter 3, Paul tells us by the Holy Ghost how God does miracles. Shouldn't be any question in our mind about it. Paul says specifically by the Holy Ghost, here's how God works miracles. Galatians chapter 3, verse 5, he said, He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Moffat translates this passage this way. He said, when he supplies you, talking about God, when he supplies you the Spirit, with the Spirit, and works miracles among you, is it because you do what the law commands or because you believe the gospel message? Well, let's answer the question first and foremost. What do we know? Jesus said in in, uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 16, the Great Commission, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Well, salvation is ministering the Spirit, isn't it? When you get saved, you're born again by the Holy Ghost. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 16, that famous scripture, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 47, he said that I am the light of the world. He that believeth in me shall not abide in darkness. Each one of these is talking about referring to the new birth. Each one of these is talking about receiving the Holy Ghost. Now, we, uh, some people might take exception and say, well, he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, the baptism of the Holy Ghost comes the same way as, the, as salvation, and that is by faith. So he's talking about the same thing. He's talking about he that works the Spirit, uh, supplies the Spirit among you. How does he do it? He does it not by the keeping of the law or not by any works on your part, but by the hearing of faith or literally believing in God. Now, notice he said that it works the same way when it comes to miracles. In other words, you receive the same way you receive a miracle, the same way that you receive salvation or any work of the Holy Spirit. You receive a miracle the same way. Now, Paul goes a little bit further and he describes or defines the kind of faith, the kind of believing that does it. He said, even as Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness turn with me to Romans chapter 4 let's see what he said writing to the Roman church about the faith of Abraham now you realize the Roman church was primarily a Gentile church just as the Galatian church was primarily Gentiles there were a lot of Jews in the Galatian church or at least in the region of Galatia we know that because there were some that were coming in and trying to to, uh, disturb maybe even tear up the work of God by imposing the law of Moses back upon the Christians. But Paul primarily is writing to the Gentiles when he writes in both of these letters to the Romans and to the, to the Galatians. And notice he makes a big part of his preaching the gospel, the faith of Abraham. Well, Abraham is a Jew. He was, well, from him came the Jews. He really wasn't a Jew. There was no such thing as a Jew when God made his covenant with Abraham. He just picked him and from his uh, descendants, we have what we know of as the Jewish nation. Why in the world would Paul talk to the Gentiles about Jewish history? Because, folks, if you don't understand the first man that believed God, 
you don't understand how God worked in his life, you're never going to grab the concept of faith that receives from God. Romans chapter 4, verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Here's what is written in the Old Testament that God said to Abraham, I have made thee the father of many nations. He said that to him before he ever had children. Before him whom he believed. In other words, Abraham believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. The reason God said in the past tense to Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations, is because God calls things that be not as though they are. Um, One translation, I like one translation on this verse 17. It said, Abraham acted like God. When it talks about he believed God, it says that uh, one translation says that he acted like God. He was an imitator of God. Well, you can't quicken the dead. He can't be an imitator of God that way. But he was an imitator of God in that what he spoke was similar to what God said. God calls things that be not as though they were. Who, Abraham, verse 18, against hope, without any natural hope or circumstances to hope in, believed in hope, the hope that came from the word of God, that he might become the father of many nations. Where did that hope come from? According to that which was spoken so shall thy seed be. Now, what is he saying? What was God talking about when he said, so shall thy seed be? Well, in Genesis chapter 15, it tells us that God showed Abraham the stars in the sky. He said, do you know how many there are? Abraham said, no, there's no way to number them. He said, that's how your seed will be. He said, what about the sand on the seashore? Do you know how many grains of sand there are? Abraham said, no, no way to number those. He said, that's how your seed will be. So when God is saying, so shall thy seed be, he's not just saying you'll have a child. He's saying from you and from your children shall be a race of people that's beyond number. Keep that in mind. It's going to be important. And being not weak, verse 13, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now, it doesn't say that he didn't recognize the reality of the condition of his body and Sarah's body. It says that he chose not to consider it. He chose not to consider it. He chose not to focus on it. He chose not to let the circumstances that he was in, the natural circumstances of both his body and his wife's body, which, according to nature, disqualifies the promise of God from being true. But he chose not to consider those circumstances as the final word on the subject. Well, what did he do instead? Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. The American Standard Version is is a little better than the King James on this. It says that uh, in verse 19, he considered not, meaning he didn't look at. That's what consider means, to look at, to gaze intently at. So it's talking about what he's looking at. It tells us what he didn't look at, so now it should tell us in verse 19 what he did look at, or verse 20, it should tell us what he did look at. The American Standard says in verse 20, but looking at the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief. But looking under the promise of God. Now, verse 19 tells you what he didn't look at. He didn't look at his circumstances. He didn't look at his body, the condition of his body when he was about 100 years old. Neither condition of Sarah's body was 90 years old. Both of them physically too old to have children. But that's not what he chose to look at. What did he look at? He looked at the promise of God. Looking at the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith. Folks, if you want to be strong in faith, there's only one way that it happens. There's only one way that it comes, and that is by looking at the promise of God. 
Now, you understand that doesn't mean a casual glance. That means to look and to continue to look. He considered not his own body now dead. He didn't look at his circumstances, which would disqualify the word. So many times people will say, well, Pastor Mike, the word says I'm healed, but the doctor says I've got cancer. Now, what they're saying without coming right out and, 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 and speaking it or verbalizing it, what they're saying is the doctor's diagnosis in my mind and in my estimation nullifies God's promise of healing. Abraham did just the opposite. He said, no matter that I'm 100 years old, God knew my age before he ever told me this. No matter how old Sarah is, God knew how old she was too. I've got the word of God and I'm not going to look at anything other than the word of God. And the Bible says that that did two things. Number one, it kept him from staggering through unbelief. That's how not to, that's how not to waver. Look at the word of God and the word of God only. And the second thing it says is that he was strong in faith. Being strong in faith comes one and only one way and that is looking exclusively, solely at the word of God as your answer. Looking at the promise of God. He staggered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded. Uh, Weymouth's translation says absolutely convinced. Absolutely convinced. Being fully persuaded or absolutely convinced that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Notice Abraham didn't feel the need to figure out how it was going to happen. Abraham didn't take upon himself the burden of trying to figure this thing out. He just simply believed. He was fully persuaded that God was able to do what he said. How? Who knows? He's God. Now remember the promises, so shall thy seed be. You know the end result. Abraham had a child. He had a son. His name was Isaac. They named him Isaac. So now Abraham, you would think Abraham has an opportunity to rest. Because the son of promise has been born. The impossible has taken place. The miracle has occurred. So now he has the son. He's got something natural, physical that he can look at. He can look at Isaac and say, there's my heir. And from Isaac shall be children like the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. And there's my proof. There's Isaac. Well, 15 to 18 years go by. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to do something for me. Yes, sir, Lord, whatever you say. I want you to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Really? Abraham has the opportunity to think exactly what you and I would think, or at least have the opportunity to think. And that is, wait a minute, he's my heir. He's the one that God made the promise through. How in the world is the promise going to come to pass if I offer as a sacrifice, meaning literally kill my own son, how in the world is it possible for his promise to be fulfilled? In other words, Isaac is the prop for Abraham's faith, and God kicks the prop out from under him. He said, you believed me for the impossible once before. Now that you've got your son and you know how, how we love our kids, you know how we'll do anything and sacrifice anything for our kids, what are we going to do now? What is Abraham going to do? Abraham was still so fully persuaded, so absolutely convinced that God's promise of so shall thy seed be. How shall your seed be? Stars of the sky, sand of the seashore. He was so convinced still 15 to 18 years later 
after the miracle of, of Isaac's birth took place, he is still so convinced, so persuaded that God's promise is true and that no circumstance can hinder the promise of God from being realized if you'll only believe. He is so convinced that God has to stop him from killing his own son when he lays him on the altar. That's how committed Abraham was. How does God do miracles? Same way he ministers the Holy Ghost, the kind of faith that Abraham operated in. Let me show you something from Jonah chapter 2. Jonah was, you remember the story of Jonah, I'm sure. Jonah was instructed by the Lord to go preach at Nineveh. Well, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were the enemies of, of the Jewish people, the people of Israel. And so Jonah didn't want to go. Jonah specifically said, now, Lord, if I go down there and preach, then the people are going to hear and repent. God said, go tell Nineveh that judgment is coming unless they repent. And he said, well, if I go down there, they might repent and then judgment would be avoided. And I want judgment to fall on them. So he went running the other way, went the other direction. Got on a ship and the ship got in trouble. Finally, somebody came to Jonah and said, do you know anything about this? This is, We've never seen a storm like this. This is the most supernatural storm we've ever had. We've been sailing all of our lives. And Jonah said, yeah, it's me. It's my fault. Throw me overboard and everything will be all right. And they're thinking, well, we don't necessarily know that throwing you overboard is the way to go. Because if the one that's causing all these storms and all this trouble gets mad at us for throwing you overboard, maybe that's not our answer. But finally he convinced them and said, your only hope for, for surviving is throw me overboard. So they threw him overboard. And a great fish swallowed him up. Now, Jonah has realized his mistake by this point. It's always a mistake to run from God, whether it's a little ways or a long ways. Whether there's little trouble that comes from it or big trouble that comes from it, there's always a mistake to run from God. God's way is always better than our way, even if we can't see the outcome. So in Jonah chapter 2, it says, I'm going to start reading from verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Now, I don't know what trouble you've ever been in, but I would submit to you that it's never as bad as Jonah's. I mean, we're picking the worst of the worst possible situation here. He's in the middle of the fish and said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell. I cried and thou heardest my voice. Now, one thing that Jonah starts off saying is, God, I know that you're going to hear me. So many times people get in a position, and, and it's all the influence of the devil. It's the devil's lies. But people are so quick to believe that they've messed up so bad that God can't hear their prayers or won't hear their prayers. Nobody's messed up worse than Jonah. And Jonah, the first thing, right out of the gate says, Lord, I messed up, and I know you heard me. I know you heard me. Now, he talks about some of the circumstances, talks about the, the weeds, the seaweed wrapping around his head and some of that kind of stuff. Uh, I want you to skip down with me to uh, verse 7. He's concluding his prayer. He said, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. You ever been in a place where you thought I can't go any further? That's what he's talking about. He's come to the end of himself. He realizes whatever I was trying to accomplish by running away from you was a mistake. I have come to the end of myself. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came in under thee into thine holy temple. Now notice what he says about his situation. The circumstances are awful. The, the, the acid in the fish's belly or whatever else is down there is eating away at his flesh. He mentions that. He talks about the fish having gone to the bottom of the sea. And I'm sure that you ever uh, 
gone down in a little diving bell or a little submarine to look at fish and stuff like that. The pressure on your ears can get really terrible and stuff. I'm, I can only imagine what it's like in, a, in a, a fish that's not airtight. I mean, he's got some real serious life critical issues, you know. So he's come to the end of himself. And notice what he says about his circumstance. He says, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, unto thy holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Now, folks, I would submit to you that he has every opportunity to think that there is no mercy uh, of God available to him because of his own doing. I would furthermore submit to you that he has every opportunity to think I got myself in this situation and no matter what God's original plan for me to go to Nineveh and preach was, it's too late for me now. The circumstances that I'm in make it impossible for any kind of deliverance whatsoever. But that's not what he did. Instead of letting the circumstances tell him that God's mercy was non-existent or not available, he saw that the circumstances that contradicted the mercy of God that endures forever to be lying vanities. And that's what he calls them. He called his circumstances of being in the fish's belly, of having seaweed wrapped around his head, of all this swimming that the fish is doing. I'm sure that wasn't a real pleasant thing. I don't know. Never been there. Can't say for sure. Whatever the circumstances were, which couldn't have been very pleasant, Jonah calls those circumstances lying vanities. It's exactly the same thing that Abraham did when he considered not his own body now dead, neither the the deadness of Sarah's womb. He's simply saying, no matter what circumstance I'm in, God is bigger than the circumstance. So I refuse to look at the circumstance as the final answer. I believe God. He goes even further. He does the same thing Abraham did. Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God because he was fully persuaded that God was able to do what he said, even though the circumstances were impossible. Even though the circumstances said there's no way for this to happen, no way, no way, no way. Yet he was fully persuaded that God was able to do what he said and was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Look at what Jonah did. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Verse 9, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving in the belly of the fish. Not you get me out of here and boy, I'll be thankful. Not you get me, Lord, just get this fish to go back to the surface. And boy, I'll I'll thank you and serve you forever. Now in the belly of the fish, in the middle of the circumstances that say, and the devil always tries to use circumstances to tell you God's word's not true. In the middle of those circumstances, Jonah said, I refuse to observe lying vanities and forsake the mercy of God. Not only that, but I'm going to sing with the, a voice of thanksgiving. Offer the voice of thanksgiving. Sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Verse 10 says, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited, him, vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Even the way out wasn't so great. But it was the way out. Let me show you another example. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Tells the story of Israel 
when Jehoshaphat is king. Israel is under threat of attack by five different enemy armies. They came up against Israel and were gathering together against Israel. And Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel, found out about it. And so he called a fast to seek the Lord and proclaim this fast throughout all Judah, verse 3 says. And Judah, verse, this is Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 4. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. That means the temple. This is the temple that Solomon dedicated. And said, O Lord God of our fathers, art thou not God in heaven? And rulest thou not over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God who did drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gave it to thy seed of Abraham, to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein and built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil comes upon us as the sword judgment or pestilence or famine we stand before this house and in thy presence for thy name is in this house and cry unto thee in our affliction then thou wilt hear and help in other words he's saying lord when solomon dedicated this temple part of his dedication you can go back and read it part of this dedication solomon said this house belongs to god and if there's ever a time when israel's in trouble and we stand before this place and call upon you you will hear and help us. That's what Jehoshaphat is bringing back to the Lord. Now, Jehoshaphat does something that's very, very important, folks, and that is he prayed God's word. Jehoshaphat praised God's word. And notice the confidence that he has. He starts off by saying, not like most people would pray, oh, Lord, what a mess we're in. Help us, help us, help us. He starts off and says, God, aren't you still God? And in your hand, isn't there power to defeat all of our enemies? And didn't you say through Solomon, when this temple was dedicated, if we stood here and asked for help, that you'd help us? He's not through. He goes on. He says in verse 10, And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. I love this prayer. This is one of the best prayers in the whole Bible. Because Jehoshaphat is saying, now the only reason we've got these five enemy armies out here is because you, Lord, told Israel not to defeat them. Leave them alone when we came out of Egypt. We could have taken care of them then, and this would never have been an issue. But we left them alone. And now look how they come to reward us, to cast us out of your possession. Folks, you need to realize the things that you're seeking after, the things where there's provision, where there's healing, whatever it is, those are things that Jesus purchased. They're not yours, they're his. They're yours because they're his. But they're his. He bought and paid for them with his own blood. And that's the kind of prayer that Jehoshaphat is praying. Now, you know as well as I do, most of the church world will get mad at you if you pray like this. So don't tell people. They don't need to know. After you get the results, if they want to know how would you get those answers, then you can tell them if you want to. But most of the church world will get mad at you if you prayed like this. If you did this in public, they'd say, oh, what arrogance that person is or has. How arrogant. 
Jehoshaphat knows who he is. Jehoshaphat knows his place with God. He knows what he can and can't pray. And he's still praying according to God's word and according to God's plan as he revealed to them. So he says, look how they come to reward us, to cast us out of your possession. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Upon thee. We can't do it, so we're looking to you for help. You said you'd help us. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And then God speaks. The Spirit of the Lord comes on a certain man and speaks and says, Hearken ye all Judah, ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord God unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and you shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand you still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah, and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. That's good news to everybody in the group. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. Now tomorrow comes around. Next morning comes around. I'm sure they're still feeling a little bit of the high that they had from the day before, but not quite as much. You know you don't feel as charged up on, su- on Monday mornings as you do on Sundays. It's great to hear the word. It's great to be in the presence of God. But then Monday morning rolls around and he's like, oh, no, what are we going to do now? We've still got the same problem we had before. We got excited about it yesterday because we heard the answer. What are we going to do today? Same problem still exists. Same circumstances. Same five enemy armies. There is one and only one thing that's changed, and that is they've heard the word of God. So what are they going to do? And they rose up early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. That means in front of the army. And to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now, I'm sure he's not, he remembers the prophecy from yesterday. He said, we won't need to fight, so it's not going to be a real issue to put the singers out front unless you're one of the singers. I'm sure they had an opportunity to wonder, is this the right move to make? And he went out, they put the singers out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And when, everybody say when. And when they began to sing into praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy one another. It it goes on to say that it took them three days when they came upon the armies that had killed each other. took them three days to carry off all the stuff. The gold and silver and the riches and the jewels and apparel and all the other stuff that they had left. Took them three days to carry it away. Now, folks, here's three examples of people that believed God and did exactly the same thing and each got miracle results. 
Abraham believed for a miracle for Isaac to be born, and he believed for the miracle for Isaac to be delivered. In the same exact way, looking under the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. What did Jonah do? Jonah in the belly of the fish prayed and said, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. God's mercy never fails, but some people fail to receive it because they're looking at the wrong thing. They observe lying vanities. So what did he do? He made a sacrifice of thanksgiving from the belly of the fish, and he was delivered from the fish. The third example we looked at is over in Second Chronicles chapter 20 where the children of Israel led by Jehoshaphat stood before the temple and said, Lord, you said that if we were in trouble and called upon you in this place, you'd help us. And God did help them. How did he help them? He gave them the word. He gave them the answer. What did they do the next day? They looked at the promise. They looked at the word that God had spoken through the prophet, whoever Jehaziel was. We don't know too much about him. Don't know anything about him. But whoever it was that the Spirit of the Lord came upon, they believed what he said on behalf of God and acted on it. And they began to sing into praise like they were victors before the battle ever took place, or at least before they knew the battle was taking place. And when they began to sing into praise, the Lord said ambushments. Folks, please understand that there, when it comes to healing, the promise is very simply this. The promise is you shall have after you believe you receive when you pray. There is no promise of healing for anyone that doesn't believe that God has heard and answered their prayer. Now, a lot of times people look at circumstances to tell them whether it's true or not. I've had a number of people through the years that you lay hands on and they'll come back the next week or the next time you see them and they'll say, oh, I've been so much better since you prayed for me. And I know right then they don't know a thing about the concept of faith because they're telling me the results, they're telling me the, the, the outcome based on their circumstances. And invariably, it has almost never failed to be the case, invariably, They'll take a turn for the worse. And then they'll come back and they'll say, well, I thought I received my healing. But things have gotten worse. Folks, there is one and only one basis for faith, and that's God's word. Not the circumstances, whether the circumstances improve or get worse. Circumstances are never a basis for the kind of faith that receives from God or enables God to work miracles. It's only the kind of faith that believes based on what God said and God said alone. That's the only way that it can happen. That's the only way that you can receive. There is no promise of God otherwise. Now, Abraham, as we said, Abraham had every opportunity to believe that it couldn't happen, that God's word could not be true because of the circumstances of his, of his situation. He could have looked at his own body and said, well, now, Lord, you know, you first spoke to me when I was 75, and I wasn't too old then. You could have made it work then. I was 75. Sarah was 65. We were old, but not too old to have kids then. But now I'm 100 and she's 90. It's way too past time, way too late for this to take place. He had every opportunity. He could have woke up every morning and looked at himself in the mirror and looked at his wife. He said, well, we don't look any different. So I guess it's not working. He refused to consider his age or Sarah's age or the conditions of their body. He refused to consider the natural circumstances as hindrances to God working a miracle. 
But instead, he looked at something else. If he's not going to look at the circumstance, what's he going to look at? He's looking at the promise of God. He refused to look at anything else. He refused to consider anything else. He refused to focus on anything else. Did he deny the circumstances? Did he look at Sarah and said, you know, I just refuse to look. I just refuse to accept how old she is. He's not denying the circumstances. He just refuses to let that influence him. Now, this is the thing you need to know, and that is the devil always uses circumstances to try to dissuade you from the truth of God's word. Circumstances have nothing to do with God's word. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. If your loved one promised to do something for you tomorrow, and then tomorrow comes around and you said, well, I didn't believe you were going to do it because my foot hurts. What does that have to do with the promise I made to you? Well, my foot hurts. I I just didn't think it was going to work because my foot hurts. The pain in your foot would have nothing to do with the promise that was made. It's totally unrelated. The circumstance of your body, no matter what the diagnosis is from the doctor, the circumstance of your body is totally irrelevant to God's promise. Totally irrelevant. You wouldn't deny the promise of God to meet all your needs according to his riches and glory because you had a pain in your side because they're unrelated. The circumstance in your body, the pain in your body, the situation in your flesh is totally unrelated to the God's word. It has nothing to do with it. Now, the devil will tell you it has everything to do with it. The devil will tell you that that pain in your body or the circumstance, whatever it is, that that is proof that God's word's not working for you. And he's lying. He wants you to observe lying vanities, as Jonah said, and forsake the mercy of God. Because there is no circumstance. Your bank book is not a circumstance that disproves God's word. Your physical condition is not a circumstance that disproves God's word. Both of those are totally unrelated to the truth of God's word. God's word is true because it's God's word. That's what Abraham came to the place to understand. And he didn't even have the spirit of God on the inside of him like we do. He didn't know half of the word that we know. But he developed a strength of faith, a willingness to trust God no matter what was going on around him, no matter what God told him to do. Even when it looked like God was kicking out the prop from underneath him for the promise to be realized. He said, that's no big step for God. If God has to raise him from the dead, so be it. And he was ready to offer him as a sacrifice. That's the kind of faith that receives a miracle from God. The kind of faith that is not moved by any means or by any circumstance. The kind of faith that realizes that when the devil says it's not working, check your body and see. They realize that the circumstance, whatever the devil's trying to get them to check, whatever he's trying to draw their attention to, is totally unrelated to the truth of God's word. Totally unrelated. Yeah, but Pastor Mike has been going on for so long. That has nothing to do with the truth of God's word. Yeah, but I've got a good Christian friend. They told me about somebody that they knew that had this and they died. That has nothing to do with God's word. They may have observed lying vanities. I don't know what their situation is, but I know God's word is true. Looking under the promise of God, Abraham wavered or staggered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. There's only one way to be strong in faith, folks, and that is to look at God's word and God's word alone. And when you do that, nothing can stop the promise of God from being realized. Let me close with a scripture. Hebrews chapter 3. 
and verse 14. Notice what it says. Hebrews 3.14, for we are made partakers of Christ if Christ is the word of God made flesh, right? So we can, be, we can substitute the word of God for this. We are made partakers or receivers of the word of God and the promises of God's word if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Well, when is the end, Pastor Mike? How long is it going to take to get to the end? Till you have what you ask for. Till you have whatever it is you believe for. Yet, how long is that going to take? I don't know. Well, what are we supposed to do till we get it? Hold fast. Same thing Abraham did. Looking under the promise of God, he wavered or staggered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. You mean to tell me that I'm supposed to occupy myself with just what God's word says until God's word changes my body? That's the kind of faith that receives a miracle. That's the kind of faith that Abraham had that the Bible says God works miracles through. And there's no promise for a miracle any other way. Well, I just don't want to do it that way, Pastor Mike. I'm just going to pray and keep asking God to do it. Okay. Let me know how that works. Yeah, but I know and I heard a story about somebody that just kept praying and praying and praying and God finally did something for them. Folks, there are a lot of stories out there where God independent of a person's faith, showed mercy on people through their ignorance. But there's no guarantee that that's going to work for you. But you do have a guaranteed way to have to receive a miracle, and that is the Abraham kind of faith. To look on the, at the promise of God and only at the promise of God and stagger not through unbelief, but to hold strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he's able also to perform. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word is true. Father, give us the strength of will. Strengthen us, Lord, by the Holy Ghost. That we dig our heels in and look at your word and only at your word, no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what the lie of the enemy is, or who it comes through or from that we would be a type of people that, like Abraham, refuse to give up even to the end. For your word says that we'll be made partakers if we hold fast our confidence to the end. Thank you, Lord, that your word is true. We believe that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we are healed. No matter what it looks like in our bodies, no matter what it looks like around us, we believe we receive our healing in the name of Jesus. And you said, Lord that would have it. Thank you for making it come to pass, making it real in our bodies. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.